Alright, so tonight we'll be looking at practical Christian living. Mostly through what is called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5. That will be the majority of where we will be. What is that? Matthew chapter 5. Um, let's pray real quick and then we'll get into this. Father, we just want to thank you for tonight and for the opportunity we have again to read your word, to learn from you, some of just the practical stuff that we can do to continue our walk with you and grow deeper in you each and every day. And I just tonight really um, want to pray for Romel, since we don't know what's going on with him, and for Adam, who wasn't able to make it through the program. Lord, um, the, the world, the things that the world offers to us, so many times are enticing and uh, so many people fall prey to that. I pray that you would just help them to remember the things they have heard of you and uh, that you would just continue to draw them back to you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And, um, yeah, you guys, you have no idea how blessed we are, really, truly are that you guys come here and that Mary brings you, not just Thursday night, but Wednesday night, Sunday morning. Um, this, this is truly the heart of the leadership in this church is that you guys would come here um, because that's that's a healthy church, man. We we want. I I came out of Coward Chapel, West Covina. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, a guy named Raul Reese, and um, I got saved. I came out of the same stuff that probably most of you guys are into. Um, Thirty three years ago, and uh, the church was filled with people like that. And I wasn't sure. I did, wasn't raised as a Christian. I didn't know anything about Christianity. Uh, I was the first one in my family. And God changed my heart and changed my life. And He can do the same for you. He's a powerful God, but you have to push on, you know. Unfortunately, we all know, you know, Adam didn't make it. And it's, the, the temptations are strong. God's stronger if you just lean on Him. And that's what we're going to take a look at tonight. We're going to look at the practical things that we can do to continue on in our walk. And for those of you guys that have, weren't here last week, there's actually only uh, Tanner was here with Adam last week, I think, right? Nobody else was here last week. Um, this microphone behind me is because we record the study and we want to make sure if you guys have comments or questions while I'm teaching, you're free to talk to me. Okay, this is an open discussion thing. We wanted that. Tanner wanted the pastor. He wanted that. Um, we want to be able for you guys, if you have questions, to ask. Something that came up last week after the study was over, um, when I when Tanner had asked a question about prayer and I had mentioned that the first prayer God hears is the prayer of repentance that you give. Okay? clarification on that comment is that he hears everything we say but to truly respond and react to your prayers it's that one is the first one he truly begins to react and move in your life once you've repented until then you don't do it we'll see some of that tonight as we go through and we talk about prayer but uh, we're not going to get real depth into prayer because if if you guys oh, i haven't been putting out this thing huh next week we will actually be in Prayer and fasting is the study next week. So I'm not going to cover the prayer and fasting. I'll just touch on it tonight. But next week, that's what the study is, is prayer and fasting. So um, you guys are new here. Basically, what we're doing is we're building truth upon truth. If you read that quote up there, A.W. Tozer, that's kind of the whole premise of what we're doing. We're just laying a foundation in our Christianity, and we're building a truth upon truth. So you guys that started tonight for the first time, if you hang out, it's a 13, basically 13-week program. And when I get done with this, it's going to start all over again. We're going to go to God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Except when we get to that, I won't be teaching it. Michael will be teaching that part next time. Um, the sin and salvation next time won't be me. It'll be Luke, who 
was here last week or did worship for us last week. Um, Tanner Payne will be here to teach some classes. Mike Vasquez will be here to teach some classes. Adam Rodman, if you know who he is, he will be here to teach some classes. I'm just doing it the first time through. We're getting a feel for it. And then I'm gonna, it's going to be like I'll teach probably every other week after that. We want to let other people have the opportunity to come in here and, and be able to teach. So if you have questions, comments, whatever you think that you can clarify better than what I am because I'm not a great speaker. I've got a Glendora High School education. That's as far as I went. So, I, you know, I'm no seminary student or anything. Um, so sometimes I'm not real clear on what I want to say. If you see opportunities you can clarify or need clarification, just speak out. We'll get it. So we'll start. In Matthew chapter 5, in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. This is the first message that Jesus gives after he comes out of the wilderness, being led in there for 40 days and 40 nights. He comes out and he has a message to the multitudes. In chapter 5, verse 1, it says, And seeing the multitudes, he, Jesus, went up on a mountain, and he was seated as he was seated. His disciples came to him, and then he opened his mouth and he taught them. So here's Jesus. He's been away, he's spent time with God, and he comes out and he goes up on the mountain and he's here's disciples. And disciples are learners. It's not the 12 apostles that we know. It's just anyone that wanted to come to learn, a learner is a disciple. Okay, And Tanner had mentioned it Sunday morning that our vision, our goal, is to reach the world with Jesus Christ, turn it upside down or right side up, whichever way we want to look at it, through God's word and making of disciples. That's the Great Commission, Matthew 28. That's what we're trying to do. And so this is something that, that I really felt the Lord prompting me to do uh, with this foundations class because a lot of people don't know the foundational principles of Christianity. They sit in church, they fill a pew, but they don't really know when the guy's up here talking a lot of the depth of what he's talking about. So I'm just putting the foundation down and then Tanner builds on that. That's, that's our goal. So the very first thing Jesus says when he opens his mouth teaching them, he says in, in verse 3 of chapter 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So to be blessed or to be poor in spirit means to be destitute of wealth, influence, position, or honor. So uh, the word blessed means basically, oh, how happy, or how happy are they, or you will be happy if you become the poor in spirit. And the first step to understanding our need for God is understanding our spiritual poverty without Him. And uh, it sometimes takes a while to get there. Usually, for most people, it's when you hit the bottom. Okay? Um, I was at the bottom. I had lots of money. Uh, I had a really nice, brand new sports car. I could do anything I want to with the money I had. Um, I was 18 years old when I got all this money. By the time I was 19 years old, I was living in the mountains in Glendora in my car. I lost everything. I, at that time, got an inheritance, plus I was a drug dealer, so I had lots of money. And it was just like, there's something wrong. My life isn't happening the way I thought it should be happening. I hated what I was doing. I'm sure many of you know that feeling is... You, you do whatever it is you're doing, and then you go, man, I hate that I can remember. I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to do that. And next morning, I'm doing the exact same thing. I'm like, man, there's, well, how does this stop? A friend of mine took me to church, Calvary Chapel West Community that I was just talking about. They were telling me there, hey, man, you want to get off drugs? You want to get off the alcohol and all the junk you're doing? Try Jesus. And I thought, you know what? I've tried everything else. You know, I, I started at 10 years old, and I was just like, man, this has got to stop. 
this is just nowhere. And I tried Jesus. Like I said, it was 33 years ago. I've never looked back, never went back. Um, man, the life I've had is so great. And then, you know, having my kids all serve the Lord. And those of you guys that know me, I know you guys from the, from the, you don't know, that's my oldest son. My middle son is the sound guy. My youngest son is the one sitting right here in the in and out hat, and that's my daughter right there with the red hair. All four of my kids nice. worshiping the Lord. My son-in-law is the youth pastor here, the guy that did the worship just now. It's, it's awesome. And it was a choice that I had made to serve Jesus Christ and uh, met my wife, have four great kids, three great grand, three not great as in like I'm that old. They're awesome <laughs> grandkids. Um, but I, re- I realized my poverty and that without God, I finally understood there's nothing I can do. It was a spiritual poverty. There was something else in me, the drugs, the alcohol, the, the chasing the women, all this. It wasn't filling that need in my life. So I knew there was something else. I realized my spiritual poverty. And so I came to God. Now, there's never going to be a point in our lives where we're going to have it all together. We're going to go, okay, I finally don't need God anymore. My, my spirit is filled to the full. There's always going to be a poverty in our spiritual lives where we're going to need God. So uh, one of the things that I wanted to look to was in Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. And, and it's a picture that Jesus gave, a parable of what it looks like to be spiritually in poverty or to understand the poorness of your spirit. So Jesus gives this parable in verse 9 of chapter 18 of Luke. He says, also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. Notice, they trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So they had this arrogance within them. You know, I'm a spiritual giant or whatever you might want to say. So Jesus says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, which is a religious ruler, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So in this parable, in this story, the religious person looked down upon the other people because they're not like me. And this happens so much in the church. Um, At our men's breakfast last Saturday morning, I I was talking with the men and just telling them, hey, we need to make sure that we never think ourselves to be better than anybody else. That's why, you know, I, for me, I'm excited you guys are here because I was there. I was there once. Now look where I am. Not that I'm great or anything special. I chose to surrender and God is using me and has used me for 33 years now to reach. I taught youth ministry for years, high school and junior high. That was my heart because that's when I started in the drugs. And I wanted to reach them before they got there. To share with them a little bit about what I, I was. Um, I never, I mean, yeah. get to this point in your life and he needed you to go through all that in order for you to be able to 
expound and connect to guys like us. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, because he uses, definitely, absolutely uses those things that I went through. Because there, there's been many times where someone would try to ex- explain to me how, you know, well, you don't know what it's like to be, you know, a cokehead or whatever. Wait, wait a minute, let me talk to you for a minute. I had a guy at work that I did that one time. He came into work and he was bragging about going out and doing a bunch of coke the night before. And he was so messed up that day at work because of all the coke he had done. And, and I just looked at him and, and I, I go, you know what? You're sitting here bragging about what you did last night. I said, I know what you really feel like. You feel like dirt and you wish you never would have done it. And he looked at me because you, and he used a few choice little words because he knew I nailed it. It probably was within a couple months. He had trucked, checked himself into a drug rehab, mm-hmm. quit everything. I didn't see him for years. It was probably, I don't know, four or five years later. I was on a job, and he was driving by. He saw me working on this job. He pulled over. Hey, Kevin, what are you doing? I'm like, hey, what's up? I didn't even recognize the guy. And uh, he goes, you don't remember me? I go, no. He goes, Gary. I'm like, Gary, what's happening? His life had completely changed. Mm-hmm. I confronted him on his life because... You guys know, we, we, we play it up like we're something, you know, it's kind of this thing that we want to, you know, this uh, image we want to throw out there. And when someone tears that image down and says who you really are, you're like, oh man, I'm not fooling them anymore. Yeah. And then it's, okay, now I'm exposed, so now you know what? I just need to be real with myself. That's the tax collector in the story. Exactly. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all I am. And I, I'm, I never want to forget, and some people do, I never want to forget where I came from. I'm, I'm nothing. I, I'll tell you guys right now, without Jesus Christ in my life, I'm the same filthy, rotten sinner I was 33 years ago. Same person. And if I ever even give a little place to that in my life, I'd be right back in there. I can't do that. I've been telling my kids for years, this is what my life is. This is who God is. This is the power of Jesus Christ. And I know I have to keep that because I don't want one day my kids to go, everything my dad told me was a lie. He, God's not what he said he was and then mess their lives up. It's important for me that anybody I've ever talked to over the years, especially being um, someone in charge of youth ministry for 30, well, close to 30 years probably, and I would hate to have one of those high schoolers that is still walking with Jesus find out I wasn't anymore and turn away because of what I did. I'm staying close because I know. I'm like, you know, when Tanner was talking about Peter and James and John up on on the Mount Transfiguration when Jesus was transfigured. Those three always with Jesus, not because they were the most spiritual. They were with Jesus because they were the worst. Jesus knew, man, I got to keep these guys close because they're going to mess up if I let them go too far. That's me. I got to stay close because I know if I if I allow myself, I can go back, and I don't want to do that. I never want to be back where I used to be. I remember that life. I never want to forget it. I don't live in it. I don't dwell in it. That's not me anymore. But I remember. Yeah. I remember what I felt like back then, and I never want to forget how bad, even though Satan. Wants to tell me, oh, remember all the good times? And there were some good times. You know, we can't deny that there were good times. I had far worse times than I did good times, you know. I was telling my kids, I tell them, you know, it's horrible when you're driving down the street and as soon as you see a cop because the town I was from, it was kind of a small town, they knew me. As soon as they saw me, I was pulled over. If I was going the opposite direction, I took off before they could get behind with the lights because I'm not evading until the lights are on behind me. And that, that I'm like, really, that's life? That's what it's become, you know. And and I never wanted to go to jail when I ended up there. I was like, oh, this is this is not good. This is the road I never wanted to be on. So I realized that poverty um, that was in me, and that's what you want to stay away from. Uh, re- thinking that you're something special, like the Pharisee, 
even years down the road, you don't want to think you're something special. You're the same person. Jesus Christ in me is the only thing that's any good. Uh, Psalm 34, 18. It says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Okay, The psalmist is telling you the exact same thing right there. If you have a broken heart, God is near. That's what He's looking for. Poor in spirit. Okay, That's where we have to start in our Christianity. We have to realize our poverty. Reach out to Him. It says, and if you reach out, He will be near. He'll be close. Verse 4. It says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Okay, and mourning is basically, it's lamenting, uh, to experience a sensation or impression, and usually it's painful. And it's when we realize our spiritual poverty, it causes us to mourn. So it's the first one that causes the second one. Right? You realize how poor in spirit you are, and you go, uh-oh. Man, this is horrible. And you mourn. What do I do with this? How do I fix this? How do I change this? And that's when God reaches out. Because He's you're mourning. You're lamenting the experience or sensation, whatever it is in your life. Like it says here, usually painful, right? My life wasn't a good thing. It was very painful, you know? There's stuff I still think back and I was like uh, trying to... Um, last night when when uh, Tanner was talking, he was talking about um, Jacob and how... His son Joseph, in his eyes, or in his mind, his son Joseph was dead 20-some years. And I, I just kept thinking back, you know, my dad had died when I was nine years old. And I remember, even though I knew he was dead, there were times when I always thought, maybe he just left. He just didn't want to be my dad anymore. So he just left. And maybe one day I'm going to run into him and be like, wait, my dad's alive. And so when Tanner was teaching about that last night, I, I, I think about that as a kid. That's the way I always thought. I always thought, oh, I'll get to see my dad again. You don't want to believe that you're never going to see him again. And I, I don't know if I will ever see my dad again because I don't know that he was saved before he died. I didn't get to see him the last year of his life. Um, it was he, was he had cancer and he, you know, um, he was in the hospital. My grandparents kept it from us. We were living with my mom. They were divorced. It was just an ugly time in our life but that pain and I know it has a lot to do with those my kids know like Whitney and Mike every, anybody that knows me I'm not very emotional very very uh, God will nail me every now and then but not very emotional at all and it's because of that I've hardened my heart because of the hurt when I was 9 years old and my dad died I don't, I don't like that hurt I don't want that hurt again so if I keep myself hard and emotionless I won't hurt like that again and I know that's part of it um, my grandkids, they're awesome. And they will melt my heart. They are just, it's so much fun to have them around. Um, my kids did too, you know, don't get me wrong, I mean, my kids did the same thing. But, huh? Yeah, especially my daughter. She was the first one. So, um, it was just so much fun. But, it's that morning of understanding how poor we are without God, that spirit, that it's, there's nothing there. And we need something. So we mourn that loss. There's something missing and I need it. When we look at this, there's a, lot, there's a couple different ways you can look at this. Um, the Beatitudes is what this is called. And it could be uh, our practical Christian living, which is the way we're looking at it now. It's how we can grow in Christ. But you can also look at this as this is the way you become born again. 
This is the way you come to know Jesus Christ. Exactly. So there's a couple different ways to look at it. We've Hopefully everybody here is saved. If not, then you know I would love to talk with you, pray with you, as well as any of these guys sitting up here in the front. I um, would love to share Jesus with you if you don't know him personally. Um, but the painfulness of uh, not having God in our lives, there's that missing thing. Uh, there's a man in the 90s that was called, he was called the Donut Man. And it was uh, and Michael and Becca grew up. My kids grew up with him, and he sang. It was kids' songs, and he sings about your heart is like a donut, your life is like a donut, and there's a hole in the middle of your heart. And in his songs and stuff, it's always he takes the donut hole and he fills the donut back in. There's a special place in your heart that only God can fill, and that's what we, that's why we go to drugs and all the stuff we do. We try to fill that hole, and it never fits right. We can get by with it for a while. But we know that that isn't it. This isn't what I'm really looking for until you find God. And all of a sudden that goes in. You go, whoa, perfect fit. This is what I've been looking for. And that's, that's what, when we get, when we start mourning, that's where we come. In, uh, just an example of what this looks like, um, King David in 2 Samuel 24. Oh man, I got my pencil in here. It messes me up. 2 Samuel 24, near the front of your Bibles. We try to do this and get you guys jamming through your Bibles too. Verse 10. 2 Samuel what? 24, verse 10. David numbered the children of Israel. It was something the kings were never supposed to do. Because God had told the kings when they became kings, there were certain things they were not supposed to do. Because it would lift them up with pride, knowing how many people were in their kingdom, how many chariots, how many horses, how much stuff. Because when you get the stuff, you start looking at the stuff. And you're going, ooh, I got stuff, man, and I'm somebody. I got all these people under me. That makes me big. And God says, I want you to number the people. Because they're God's people. So don't you count them as though they're your people. David did that. Under some um, bad circumstances, he did that. But in verse 10 of chapter 24, 2 Samuel, it says, And David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. But now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. We see there David's mourning over what he had done against God and what God had told him to do. That's the heart we want to have. We want to realize, I did some foolish stuff, God. And I pray that you would take away my iniquity. It's a sincere thing. And it was sincere. It's cool to see, you know, David does these shows. David says these things. The Bible teaches these things so that we can realize that he wasn't anything different than what we are. He was a man. He was fallible. And he was sinful. And he messed up too. And that was, according to the Bible, a man after God's own heart. God doesn't see us with that stuff. That's all forgotten. That's all forgiven. Also in 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says, For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. So in the world when you mess up and you just sorrow over, you know, like I got caught, it produces death because there's no change of life. Right? 
maybe you guys know. I, I can remember you get pulled over, right? Oh God, get me out of this one. If you get me out of this one, uh, I, I won't do this again, or I'll, I'll I'll go to church, or I'll give money, or I'll I'll do something. And you get out of it, you don't change. You just go right back to it, right? That's the worldly repentance, and all that leads to is death because you don't change. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. And we looked at that last week. Repentance means you turn and do 180 degrees the other direction. That's that's godly repentance. When I repented of my life at 20 years old, I never looked back. I went 180 degrees. I had people come to me and, and, and tell me there has to be a God. For you to be a Christian, there has to be a God. Because they the saw such a drastic... Was that? That's the whole reason why you went through that is to show people you know, the... Sinner of sinners, the darkest of dark, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. basically where, uh, you know, Christian, or the, the word Christian, or it, or the word Jesus is, like, appalling to, to everyone around you, you know what I mean? And, and the, for, for the simple fact that, you you know, you're, you're in the gutter and, and stuff, and the people around you probably never even opened a Bible, and for, for you to be a shining light to those people, you know what I mean, that kind of shows that you maybe even had a, a greater purpose than a lot, a lot of preachers and priests and stuff, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, like Tanner was talking last night, the things that I did were choices I made. They were things that I did. God turned them into something good. Romans 8.58, right? Or 8.28. God, God, um, now I'm like drawing a blank. Um, kind of like um, with, um, um, I'll, I'll read it. Uh, Joseph's brothers. Yes. How God used their hate you know what I mean? Which was their choice. Use their hate for a greater, right. for his divine, you know, purpose. Romans eight twenty eight says, and we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. God will take those things that we've done in our life, and He will use them for good. There's doctrine out there that would teach that God caused me to do those things so that He could use them mm-hmm. in the future. God did not cause me to do anything. Maybe he I chose to do those things. I made the bad decisions. Kevin did it. I can't blame my mom. I can't say, God, because you took my dad when I was nine years old. I've told my mom. My mom was a horrible mom. And because she didn't know Jesus. Okay? She did the best she could. But when you look at godly principles, my mom did a terrible job. Because she should have gotten control of me way before she ever tried to. It was too late by the time she tried. I was out of control. You know? Police taking me home all the time. I was getting chased all the time. Skipping school. Beating up teachers. I mean, it's bad. It was too late. And I told her, but see, it wasn't my mom's fault. She just did what she thought she knew. But I can't go, well, because my mom didn't discipline me good enough. That's why I was, no. I made the choices. I'm the only one to blame for the life that I lived. I did it. Now, God took those things when he saved me. and He said, now I can use that. But it was never a, a sanctioned thing by God. It wasn't that God wanted that. That's not what he ever wanted for my life. The only thing God ever wanted for my life was a good Life that followed after him. Someone that served him. That's what he always wanted. I chose not to do that. Now, I didn't know any better, but I I know now. That's what he wanted. So, I made those decisions. I did the wrong things, but God did use those things. So, I've realized how poor in spirit. I've mourned that. And then, in verse 5, it says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And meekness denotes gentle, mild. Okay, that's the word. It means you're, you're gentle, you're mild. It, this is what, I love this definition of it. It consists not in a person's outward behavior only 
or in his relations to his fellow man. Rather, it is an inwrought grace of the soul, and the exercises of it are first and chiefly towards God. The common assumption is that when a man is meek, it is because he cannot help himself. But the Lord was meek because he had the infinite resources of God at his command, and he didn't use that to gain position or power. That's crazy. Jesus was 100% God, and he never used who he was with his power to show his meekness. His meekness was shown because he had the power, he didn't use it. That's It's, it's power, um, strength, without asserting that. It's, it's, a, it's humility, a gentleness, but he has the ability. All right. If if you guys, um, I was talking about this guy, Raul Reese. Raul's a pastor of Calvary Chapel. Now it's Golden Springs. Raul is uh, a master black belt in kung fu sensu. The dude is bad. Okay, his brother's even worse. Bad as in like you would not want to meet these guys and have them mad at you and want to beat you up. They will kill you so fast. All right. That's Raul. Okay, he was a, a master black belt. First man that ever told me he loved me. Wow. I'm like, this, and I've had him mad at me. And I, I tried to clear that up. It was something that somebody else had done. I'm like, I don't want this guy mad at me. This guy can hurt me bad. He never used that to gain influence or power. It's just something he had. Um, Victor Marx is another one that he's spoken here before. He, he does a different type of martial art. I don't know what his martial art is, but um, the sensu, it's, but see, that was Jesus. He had the ability to destroy anybody. When he's hanging on the cross, when Peter pulled that sword and cut Malchus's ear off, Jesus told Peter, put the sword away, Peter. Do you not know that I can call legions of angels down? I can do this. You think I need your sword? That's meekness. He's like, I don't need to do that. I have a God has a plan for my life, and I need to go with whatever His plan is. He had that. He didn't use it to gain position or power. He could have. Hey, man, I'm God. I can, you know, I want you to do whatever. He didn't. He first lived the example. He came and says, not to be served, but to serve, and to give His life a ransom for men. Titus three two it says. Um, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready to, for every good work. This is Paul speaking to Titus. He says, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to men. That was Jesus. Peaceable and gentle, we're going to see that's going to be our next one. Right? We're going to be the peace, the, oh, the merciful, then the peacemakers. It, it builds. So the meekness, we don't use the power. God has the power. We have that same power. We have God's Holy Spirit. The Pharisees, they were using the power to gain position, to rule over the people. That's not what the power is for. So we get the poor in spirit. We mourn that. We become meek. We're, we're like humble because I can't do anything about this. I need to just submit. That's basically what the, we want to submit. Verse 6, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. 
So the next step is I realize, like I said, I need something. What is it I need? And I heard about Jesus Christ. First time I said, oh, I'm going to try that Jesus guy. Because I've tried everything else. I'll try him. If it doesn't work, I can always go back to being what I was. I had a taste of Jesus. Got a taste of it. And I've hungered and thirsted for that ever since. He says, if you hunger and thirst. See, and that's the, the problem with a lot of people, and I've seen many over the last 33 years that come out of whatever their background would be. Walk for a small time, a short time with the Lord. So maybe 10, 15, 20 years. That's a short time. And go back to the world. They stopped hungering and thirsting. They started thinking, uh, I, I, I've told this story before to people, but I had a, a friend in, that I'd known since kindergarten. And he grew up in a Christian home. When I got saved at 20, I remember being at a Del Taco in Glendora. I was in there getting something, and all of a sudden I see this guy. I'm like, Dave, what's up, man? Oh, Kevin, we've known each other since we were five years old. I'm 20 now. Dude, I'm born again, man. I found God. I know about Jesus. Oh, yeah. You know, I was thinking about just walking away from that whole Christian thing, man. I feel like I missed so much in the world because I grew up as a Christian. I looked at him and go, Dave, did you hear what I said? I'm a Christian. Don't you understand? I had all this stuff you thought you were missing. Instead, you had what I was missing. But see, that's you get to a point where all of a sudden you start thinking, "Nah, you know what? I I know, you know, I, I'm tired of doing the church thing." But see that that drive, that desire, the hungering and thirsting—you can't let that go away. That's the only thing that's going to keep you. Remember, we looked at it. Uh, well, no, you, most of you guys weren't here. We looked at it. We went through the inerrancy and infallibility of God's word, and uh, the the way the word God's word, the importance of God's word in the believer's life. Jesus said when he was tempted in this chapter before this, when he was tempted in the wilderness, and Satan said, since you are the Son of Man, even though it says when you read it, it says if you are. The, the true Greek says, since you are the Son of Man, you haven't eaten for 40 days and 40 nights. Command these stones that they become bread. You guys know that story. And Jesus said, man shall not, it is written, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So you can have food, you can have water, you can have all this stuff you want physically. And you'll die. Because man lives by the word of God. Alone. That's it. You want to live? It's God's word. So you have to hunger. You have to thirst. You have to build habits in your life. You built other habits. I built other habits. We all have. Let's make this a habit. Getting into God's word every day. Usually in the morning is a good time. Every morning. I get up, prayer, read. Every morning. Sometimes, I shared it before, a few weeks ago, I'm still hanging out in bed, just kicking back, and Stephen came in, hey, did Michael get a hold of you? And uh, I said, no, my phone was on silent, and it was in the other room. Michael texted, hey, the sound guy didn't show up, can you come do sound? It's 8.30, I, I come to second service, so I'm not going to be here till 10 anyways, 10.30 we leave the house. All right, so around 10.30, I'm going to be here. So I was just kicking back. Nice, relaxing Sunday morning, don't have to go anywhere. I had a half an hour to get here to do sound before first service at 9 o'clock. 
I had to get up, take a shower. Uh, I don't have time to read and pray. I got a 15 minute drive across the rim if nobody's in front of me. So I was like, I didn't have time to read and pray. I got home that night. I'm like, oh man, I didn't get to read and pray. I sat through Tanner's Bible study. I think we had a meeting after the church service. We heard some scriptures there. I got home. I'm like, oh no, I got to read, man. I need to spend some time by myself with the Lord. Because it's a habit that I've developed. I had other habits in the world. This is a good one. I felt, I, I have a need here. My need is to just spend some time with God. That's a habit we want to develop. We got a hunger and thirst for His righteousness. We can't just go to church. You can't just let Kevin or Tanner or whoever feed you. You know, it's, it's time to move on. Yeah, it's okay, you know, that you come to Bible study. That's all good. But you have to have personal time with God. It has to be there. That's what's going to continue to strengthen you. So we want to hunger and thirst for righteousness. The next one, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. So to be merciful, to be compassionate by word or deed. And it's specifically, it's by divine grace. So if I go through these other points here that we just went through, and I see somebody else that's struggling, yeah, you dog, what are you doing, man? Come on, let's go. No, I'm I'm compassionate because I'm like, dude, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're feeling. I was there. See, and that's the problem is they, if you forget, you ever had a job, a boss, and the guy who used to be your coworker, and he'd tell you all the dirt about the guy that was your boss at that time, and how he hated the way he treated you, he treated you like slaves, he treated you like dirt, and then he becomes a boss, and he starts treating people the same way. Right? Because he doesn't remember what it was like. Something I've told my kids, and I do as a boss myself, I own my own business. I make sure that whoever works for me, they get treated really well. I was, we, I was me and the, these two boys here. We were down in Hollywood for three days this week, and we were staying at a friend of mine's house. And uh, I was telling her, she's like, "Oh, you know how's work?" I'm like, "These guys get paid for lunch, and I buy their lunch, yeah. right? Because if I was an employee, that's what I want. Yeah. I know they're my sons, but Jaden worked for me. I did the same thing when Jaden worked for me." So if, if you work for me, that's just, I just, I want to do that. Because, you know, I'm, I can make money. I don't need to make a ton of money. But I can get my guys to work if they're not talking to people on the phone all the time. Um, I can get them to work a lot harder for me because I take care of them. Good example of that is Rich Schneider that did made In-N-Out what it is today. Okay, that was him. In-N-Out, part-time worker, full benefits. Making... What do they make an hour for sweeping floors? Twelve bucks an hour to sweep a floor at In-N-Out Burger. Wow. Yeah. So you're like, oh, I'm gonna, man, I don't want to lose this job because I know from here I get to go to the counter and I make more money. Right? Your boss takes care of you. You said, no, I'm taking care of my boss because he takes care of me. There's gonna be people that take advantage of that, but that's just human nature. You can't. Well, this guy took advantage of me. I'm never doing that again. No, well, that guy took advantage of me. And he'll get his, and I just keep moving on. You just keep going forward. But remember where you came from. Have that mercy. God has shown mercy to you. You need to be merciful to others. And that's what he's saying. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Uh, next one, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart. Pure in heart is to be clean, free from the admixture or adhesion of anything that soils adulterates or corrupts 
It's a purity that results from washing of the heart here in this context. Right? That's what he's talking about in Mark chapter 7. If I can get to it. Mark chapter chapter 7. Verse 1 through 15. Jesus talking, or not talking. This is a story when Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees. We'll get to where Jesus talks. But starting in verse 1, it says, Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, Jesus, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled hand, with defiled, and it was hands, that, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well you rejected the commandment of God, that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from God, or from me, is Corban, that is, a gift to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. There is nothing that enters the man from the outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those things that defile a man, those are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. So basically... <laughs> what Jesus is telling the people here with the defiling, it's, it's what, what he's saying is you guys have traditions and the tradition where he says Corbin, it's like they have money. Their mom and dad are poor, starving, getting ready to die, whatever they need, health care, whatever it is they need. And he's got the money. He goes, Mom, Dad, I'd love to help you, but this is God's money. So sorry. It's Corbin. It's dedicated to God. It doesn't mean that God gets it. It's just I've dedicated it to them and they're not giving it to to their parents. And Jesus says, you, you've taken the traditions of men and you've made God's word of no effect. God wants you to take care of the family members. That's the job. That's what God wants. It's not about giving money to God. Tanner won a great study he did on Sunday morning about, about giving, which I know he really struggled with. He was telling me afterwards um, that he didn't want to do it. And I, I don't blame him. It's a horrible thing to have to talk about. The scriptures talk about it so... He had to. He had to cover it. But um, the the pure in heart is that cleanliness, cleanliness of heart because it's we're going to see it later. It's what's in the heart that defiles the man. It's the stuff that comes out. That's what defiles you. Their thing was you got to wash your hands, and it wasn't just wash your hands. We know washing your hands is good, right? Las what is it? Las sus, las bas manos, or how do you say it? You got to tell There you go. Right? You gotta wash your hands before you go back to work. We know that's good. It's a good idea. Wash your hands before you, and you wash your hands before you eat. You know, unless you're in construction like me and I just eat. I just pray and 
hope that I don't get sick, and I so far haven't. Um, we know that washing your hands is good, and Jesus isn't saying, don't ever wash your hands. They had to wash their hands a certain way. You had to put your hands a certain way, and then when you get done, your, your hands have to go this way, and you rinse them, and you bring them up like this as the water drips down your elbows. Because if your hands stay like this, this hand has dirt on it, and it drips onto that hand, which gets dirty, and then it drips onto that hand. You're never clean. So you had to do it a certain way, and you wash the vessels a certain way. And he's saying, you guys are so concerned with all this outward cleansing stuff. That's not where the problem is. That's what he gets to. The, the heart of the matter is the heart. That's what he's saying. It's the heart that defiles. Not the way you wash your hands, but it was tradition. And it, it's not just then. It happens today. It happens in many churches. We do things a certain way. No, we've never done it that way before. We're not changing. This is the way we do things. It's like, really? So your tradition, you're going to overrule whatever God wants to do? Unfortunately, many Calvary chapels are doing that. Okay, not this one. This one's really doing great. Since I've been a part of this one, that's why I'm at this church. Okay, I wasn't here for years. I am now. Um, there is so much goes on in the churches where we do things a certain way. Instead of letting God's spirit move freely and sometimes we have to change the way we do things so that we can reach out. You know? Um, I, Tanner's heart, like I said, it's making disciples. That's something that I haven't seen in the Calvary Chapel in a long time about making disciples. That's our concern is that you guys aren't sitting here and Tanner's the man. He's up on the pedestal and when he speaks, everything he speaks is just, that's it, man. There's nothing wrong with it and I can only listen to him and I was talking to somebody last night and they were saying, they asked me about Calvinists and Reformed Church and I don't want to get into all that but they said, what do you think of them? Do you think they're heretics? I said, no. They're not heretics. Their doctrine is different. I don't agree with some of their doctrine. But their doctrine is not going to send anybody to hell. She goes, oh, that's interesting because one of my friends, somebody else from a Calvary Chapel, they said these people were heretics because they taught this certain way. I'm like, no. It's just different. It's like the Pentecostals that swing from the chandeliers and, you know, they don't really, literally, but my wife came from one of those Pentecostal churches where they do the Holy Spirit train around the church and everybody's speaking in tongues and people are laying on the floor flopping like fish because they were slain in the Spirit. And, like, you know, they tried to do that to me and it didn't work. So, um, like, if God wants to slay me in the Spirit, He can take me out. But you, you're not going to do it pushing on my head. But they, they're not total heretics. Some of them are. But not complete heretics. And, you know, it's like if that's your salvation, there's a problem. But if we're teaching the basic fundamentals, which is what I'm trying to do here, is, is, is lay a foundation so we know when we look at that. Slain in the Spirit. Well, let's look it up scripturally. Where do you get slain in the Spirit? Well, Paul was slain in the Spirit, but he wasn't a Christian. The people that came to get Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, they were slain in the Spirit, but they weren't Christians either. And in the night of Sapphira, they lied to the Holy Spirit and they got slain in the Spirit too, but they were dead. So, you know, if you got that, all right, we can talk about slain in the Spirit. Other than that, I don't see it in the Scripture. But, you know, it's not like, it's a whatever. J. Vernon McGee, an old, old timer, used to say, you know, I'm not afraid that they're going to miss heaven. Uh, they're not going to get to heaven because I'm afraid they're going to overshoot it. They just worship in a different way. Black churches, man. You go into the old Southern Baptist black churches. Oh, I love that. You know, the guy's preaching and, amen. And you hear all that. It's like, yeah, there's excitement in there. They do it differently. We don't do that here at Calvary Chapel. But that's not wrong, man. I love, I love hearing those guys the people all excited and they worship and you're just like, man, that's a happening church right there. That thing's... My we're, guy's house we ride, he sees at one of those churches not too long ago. He goes, and they were the only two white people, him and his wife, the only two white people in the church down in L.A. He goes, man, they were the friendliest people. 
That's great. I, it's just different. It's not wrong. It's just different. So, uh, the, the heart, that's what it's about. It's about the heart. It's got to be pure. Let God wash it. Let God cleanse it. Um, don't get caught up with tradition. Let, let God do what he wants to do. If it's scriptural, it's okay. It may not be what we're used to. You know, hair doesn't have to be cut up over the years. You know, there's churches I was told once that I wasn't a Christian because at that time my hair was still down here. I couldn't be a Christian because look at my hair. What do you mean? Because my hair wasn't cut up over my ears and off my neck, on the collar of my neck, I wasn't a Christian. He could tell. Really? That's funny because I'm not doing all the stuff I used to do and I love reading God's Word and I love following after Jesus, but because my hair is too long, I'm not a Christian. Tradition. Right? So we don't want to get caught up in all that stuff. We want to stay away from that. The pure in heart. That's what we want to be. We want to be the pure in heart. Clean in heart. So we're staying away from anything that would soil or dirty us, adulterate us, or corrupt us. So, okay. i got to move on. We're never going to get through this. <laughs> Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Okay? So a peacemaker uh, is Isaiah 48. I had this down. I just thought this was a, a, a good one. Isaiah 48. Verse 22. There is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. So, if we're wicked, it says there is no peace. Right? So, you're not going to... I never experienced peace. I didn't know what peace was before Jesus Christ. Isaiah 59, verse 8. The way of peace they have not known. And there is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. So, you're not going to know peace without God. James chapter 5. This will hopefully all make sense when I'm done here. Verse 20. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So, we're all wicked. But... God wants us to be peacemakers. The the word I don't have to have definition is pretty self-explanatory. A peacemaker is one who makes peace. Right? We're all wicked. There is no peace to the wicked. So our heart should be. Right? We've gone through these other steps. Our hearts, we want to be merciful. We're compassionate. But what's the best thing to do? That person doesn't know Jesus. And their life is miserable. And it's messed up. And they're all wigged out on math or whatever. I think I can reach to them. I think I think I can help them. I can make peace between them and God. James, if a righteous man turns a wicked a sinner from his wicked way, you save a sinner's soul, right? Isn't that what we should be doing? That's the peacemaker. How do we make peace with the world? Do we look at them and just go, Oh man, I you know the house we were working at for the last three days. Two guys own the house. They live together in the garage. Okay, they're married, they say. Right? Super nice guys. I don't go in there and start ripping on them in their lifestyle. I treat them with respect. I talk to them. When they come up, I shake their hand. I look them in the eye when I talk to them like I would anybody else. I want them to know because there's so much junk that goes on about there about how Christians hate the homosexual community and all. You guys hear all the junk that's out there. I want them one day to go, wait a minute. Kevin, that electrician, that guy treated me with respect. Why was he different? 
You can tell me Christians hate us. I know a Christian. He didn't hate me. He treated me very well. They actually have their own churches and stuff. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. They have their own churches, and they're now that that's bad doctrine right there. That's heresy. But God doesn't approve of their lives. <laughs> so, but I don't hate them. Right? I want to make peace between them and God. I want to be a peacemaker. And I don't do it by ripping on them in their lifestyle. I slowly work my way in there. I show them respect. I show them that I care for them and I love them as human beings. And then it's, it breaks down barriers. Right? Somebody did that with me when I was on drugs and I went to the church. They didn't start, oh man, you're a drug addict. Get out of here. The church I went to, man, there was a crazy bunch of people. And I was one of them. But we're all just loved us. And Tony and these other guys that were on staff there. They made, and I, all of a sudden, I'm walking with God. I'm like, what happened? There was a peacemaker in there. Somebody that helped turn me from what I was into what God wanted me to be. So, the peacemakers. We, we want to be peacemakers. Hang on, here we go back to 5, Matthew. Because the peacemakers should be called sons of God. And then verse 10, here's the fun one. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word persecuted is to be put to flight or to drive away. Okay, This should be a reaction of the lives we live according to the previous Beatitudes. You're going to be persecuted if you live this life. Okay, It's a promise. It's, it's not like, wow, what happened? I don't get this. Why, why do people hate me? Because I'm poor in spirit. I mourned my life. Lived in meekness. Hungered and thirsted for righteousness. I was merciful. I was trying to be pure in heart. I was a peacemaker. And now they want to kill me? It's like, what's that about? It doesn't make sense. Why is it like that? Well, in John chapter 15... This isn't the popular message in the church these days. It doesn't draw a lot of people to Jesus for this. John 15, verse 8. 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. How often do you hear that promise? Right? Oh, God's going to give me peace. I got eternal salvation. He promises persecution. It's not fun. That's not the message you want to hear. That's what he said though. They hated me first. See, when we go through these Beatitudes, all of these Beatitudes, other than this last one, except for Jesus because he was a human, he was persecuted, all those, those are attributes of God. Those are all things that God is like. Pure in heart. Merciful. Peacemaker. Right? I mean, he wasn't like poor in spirit. There's a, there's, we don't want to go too far with it. But these are things that we see in God. And the world hates God. They hate Him. They hated Jesus. 
He said, they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So don't think it's strange. It's going to happen. If it's not happening, maybe they're not seeing God. Maybe they're not seeing Jesus through you. Not everybody's going to hate you at first. Like I told you about that guy at the job, when I called him on his coke use. He didn't love me right there. He wasn't love me at all. I one time had my sister had her daughter taken away from her because of some drug stuff going on. If my the, that day I saw my sister at my stepdad's house, if she had a gun in her hand, I would have been dead on the spot. She would have killed me. She did not love me. I was doing something that was right. It was for the benefit of her daughter. I needed to get her daughter out of the situation she was in. My mom, my sister, and myself all made the decision against my other sister. She hated me. She doesn't hate me anymore. She understands now. Because she's not in the world that she was in. She's come out of that. But if she had the opportunity, she would have killed me. I guarantee she would have killed me. Because she thought I was the one behind all of it. Because I was the outspoken Christian in the family. It's going to happen. Persecution happens. And if you want to persecute me, if you want to come after me for my Christianity, we're okay. If you want to just beat me up because you think you're tough or you're bad or whatever, we're probably going to have an issue. I'm probably not going to just stand there. Okay? If it's for my Christianity, I, I will stand there. If you're going to beat me up because I love Jesus, that, that's something different. You know, If you're going to kill me for that reason, that's a different thing. But not just because you want to beat me up and kill me. Man, I hurt. Okay. We're going to jump through some of this now because I just wanted to get to Beatitudes. Those were all something that God wants us to be. They're attitudes that we need to have in our lives to grow in Christ. Something else we want to look at in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 30. Again, the heart. I'm not going to read it, okay? but it's sin. Sin begins in the heart. Jesus always, in those parts, you have heard that it was said. You have heard that it was said, you shall not murder. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But Jesus takes this and, and He says, this is what you heard. Don't do these things. Don't murder somebody. Don't pull the trigger. Don't put the knife in them, whatever. Don't do that. He says, but if you hate them in your heart, you've already done it. Don't lust after a woman. Not the physical act. He said, if you lust after a woman, you've committed adultery. See, because it's what's in the heart. And in the heart, Jeremiah 17.9 says that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Your heart, my heart. Deceitful and desperately wicked. I can't trust my heart. That's why I don't like psychology. Because, oh, well, how do you feel? Well, it doesn't matter how I feel. Because today I feel good and tomorrow I don't. Today I feel in love with my wife and tomorrow I don't. I may not feel it. My love to my wife was not based on my feeling. It's a commitment I made. It's a choice I've made. My heart is deceitful. My heart will tell me you don't love your wife. My heart will tell me you need to go back into the world and do the things you were doing. My heart tells me all kinds of stuff, but it's deceitful, desperately wicked. So I can't trust it. That's why when we got into when I was talking about uh, last week, sin and salvation, right? We reckon our lives to be what God says that they are. Reckon yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. I just say it's so. God said it was true. So I have to just believe what God says because my heart is deceitful. It'll deceive me. Your heart will deceive you. So we have to believe what it says. Heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. We don't want to follow it. We want to follow what God says. Yea, let God be true, and every man a liar. Matthew 5, 37. 
Very important. And like I said, I'm just highlighting some stuff, and especially now because I already got the, this from Richard, which means I don't have a lot of time left. Um, verse 37 of Matthew chapter 5, it says, Let your yes be yes and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Be a man of your word. That's part of integrity. Be a man of your... God promised you things in the scriptures, right? Persecution was one of them. God promised you. He's a man of his word. He will do what he said he's going to do. We saw that when we went through the inerrancy and infallibility of God's word. God does what he says. You're supposed to be the same way. See, our Christianity, Christian, the term was a derogatory term that was used back in the, in the beginning of the church. And it was, you're, you're like Jesus Christ. And that was a bad thing. They're, they're trying to make it a bad thing. We wear it as a badge of honor. But they wanted it as a bad thing. We're supposed to be like our Father. We're supposed to be like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And He was a man of His Word. We need to be men of our Word. Don't tell somebody you're going to do something knowing you're not going to do it just to make them happy. You do what you're going to do. You say what you're going to do. Yes be yes, no be no. Okay? One thing I've always been known for is I will tell you what I think. Alright? You should be at our family gatherings. Because that's my family. My wife, first time she ever went to Thanksgiving at my grandma's house, we left there and she goes, man, I thought you guys were going to hit each other. I'm like, what? She goes, you guys were yelling at each other. And I go, what do you mean? We're just talking. My family is very opinionated and they tell you what they think. And to me, it was just weird just having conversations. My wife thought we were going to kill each other. She thought we were just all mad at each other. I'm like, man, I can give my mom a kiss, my grandma, whatever, and we leave and that's just the way it is. And it's still that way. We go to my brother's house and we just, man, we're going... And we leave and we love each other and there's never anything, no hard feelings. So it's, it's crazy. But one thing I have been known for is you will never doubt what I think of you. What I have to say, I will tell you to your face. And sometimes it's very harsh. I try, again, I no emotion. So I'll try to shut my mouth if I know I can't be nice with what I have to say. <laughs> I was taught that, right? If you have nothing nice to say, say nothing at all. I try to work on that. That's That's because I think I have a gift of saying the wrong thing too many times. Be a man of your word. That's part of your integrity. Uh, verses 43 through 45. You love your enemies. Right? That's not easy to do. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Pray for them. They used you and persecuted you. Pray for them. That's crazy. Stephen did that in the book of Acts. As he's kneeling down, they begin throwing stones to kill him. He said, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus on the cross. He died on that cross praying for the people there. We're supposed to be like him. Men of our words. Loving our enemies. I can't think of anybody I really hate. People that have done me wrong, I don't hate them. People I know talk about me behind my back. I don't hate them. I feel sorry for them. Maybe that's the point of him saying that. Maybe that's the point of him instructing us to love our enemies so that we don't carry that hate in our heart. Yeah. Tanner didn't say it last night. There's a saying out there. It's a bitterness. When Tanner was talking about bitterness last night. Bitterness is the poison that we take in order to kill the other person. <laughs> that's what it does. It just kills us. So don't take that. Don't take the poison. Just forgive. Just move on. I, you know what? If, if someone wrongs me, 
I just move on. I don't have time for that. Life is short. I want to reach the world for Jesus Christ. I don't have time for that kind of stuff. I just move on. I've had many pastors do stuff to me. Oh, whatever. Cool. You can answer to God for that. I'm moving on, man. I'm not following you anyways. And usually that's the problem. I don't follow them. And, I, and a lot of it is because I'll tell them, hey, dude, here's what I saw in your life. And they don't like me as just a person telling them, the pastor, what they're doing wrong. They don't like that. And I, I try not to be, you know, not the little stuff. I don't like the way you said that word. It was... No, it's, you know, when I see your life not lining up with what you're teaching, I'll confront you on it. Let's line it up. We, we, you say you're a Christian, live it. Don't tell me from up here that you're a Christian and then I know you're out there committing adultery or doing drugs or drinking and all this stuff that you, don't, don't give me that. And I will confront them. They don't like it. Many of them. I'll do it anyways. I don't care. Like I said, I just, uh, verse, chapter six, we're almost done here. Chapter six. Verses 3 and 4, when you do your charitable deeds, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Doing your charitable deed in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Don't do stuff so people can see you and pat you on the back. And When Michael's up here doing worship, I, I know, you know, clapping is a big thing in the church. Okay, he hates it. Okay, I can tell you, most of the worship team does not like being clapped for when they're doing worship. They're trying to lead you in worship. They're worshiping God. They're not trying to perform for you. There are churches where they try to perform for you and they love the clapping because that's what they're there for. These guys, this worship team, Wednesday nights, I know, that's my son-in-law, so I know he hates it and I've talked with the other guys. They don't like it. And that's why it used to happen all the time. You don't hear it as much anymore in this church because they're, they're trying to let them know we don't want that. We want you focused on God. And you're not clapping for God. You're clapping because you like the song or whatever it was. They want you focused on God. If, if you think what God's doing is great, you raise your hands, you worship Him. And that's their heart. Truly their heart. You know, um, so you, you want to make sure that when you do a charitable deed, the worship, I don't come up here and teach so that I can have people following me. Okay? I do this because I want my, my heart. I know Mike Vesquez. He does a Tuesday night home study. You guys don't get to go Wednesday nights with Tanner, Sunday mornings with Tanner. I know their heart. And our heart is that when I teach, hopefully, I'm going to say things you guys will go, wow, I didn't think of that. And you're going, where did he get that? You know what? I want to start finding that stuff. I want to start digging into it. Because the reason I do this, the guy's house I was at this week, Monday and Tuesday night, when we were down there in Hollywood, I stayed at my friend's house in Monrovia. He's an Old Testament theology professor. I stayed at his house. When I first met him, he would teach Bible studies, and I'd be like, where in the world did he get that from? He'd come back from a mission trip and tell me about how he saw God working in some guy's life. I'm like, I never see God like that. And I started praying, God, I, I want to see you the way Bruce sees you. I want, to, I want to understand your word the way he understands your word. He caused me to want to dig. So my heart is that I would do something and it would cause you guys to want to dig. So that you wouldn't have to rely on me. Uh-oh, wrap it up. I'm getting to wrap it up. I got like two minutes, hopefully. Um, fasting and prayer, we're not going to touch on. The, the Lord's Prayer, they call it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be. Okay, that's not the Lord. That's not His Prayer. You want to read His Prayer? It's John 17. Okay, that's the Lord's Prayer. This is the model. That's all it is. We're going to cover that next week when we get into prayer and fasting. Uh, fasting in, in 16, Jesus says, Moreover, when you fast, it's given that you're going to. Okay? It's part of the requirement. You're supposed to fast. Um Lay up treasures in heaven. 
Okay, because your heart is going to be with your treasure, whatever it is. Uh, judge rightly. Judge not that you be not judged, okay? Doesn't mean you can't look at somebody's life. Determine whether or not they're a Christian. Whether or not they're lying to you, okay? You can make that. What I don't know, I don't make an eternal judgment. I don't know what you're going to do at the end. I don't know who God's going to save and not save. It's not my job to figure that out. My job is to take the seed and spread God can determine what grows and what doesn't grow. That's not my job. He does that. That's what that's speaking of. In chapter 7, 24 through 27, we're going to end with this. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Build on the rock. But you ever go to the beach and build a sandcastle in the sand? You can spend hours building that thing, and it's got turrets, and it's all, you know, big, and moat, and all this stuff, and a wave comes through, boom. And it's gone. Okay? You don't want to be like that. You want to be built on the rock. The waves can come, the winds can beat against all that stuff, and it's not going to affect it. That's the house you want to build. This stuff that Jesus taught, and I went briefly over this, okay? And I just kind of gave you guys a clue as to what I'm looking for. Hopefully, you're going to get into it yourself. Read it in depth. Read it fully through. If you have questions about it, you can talk to me, you can talk to Tanner, you can talk to Mike, you can talk to Michael, you can talk to Tim, Stephen, Mark, any of these guys. These guys have been sitting under me for the last, like, five, well, they, my kids for all their lives. Uh, Jeremy and Jaden for the last probably five to six years, Whitney for the last about five years, under my teaching, I've been discipling them so that they can come in here and hopefully help you guys with your walk. Practical stuff. It's not hard. Let's just trust Him. Let's try to live this out. Read in there. Get all of it. Get the context of everything He had to say. I could. I, I only have an hour to do this whole thing, so it's kind of tough to get it all in there. If I was really teaching this, when I went through Matthew, I think it took me three years. Okay, to get through the Gospel of Matthew. So I can dig. That's not what we're doing here tonight. So I'm going to end or else Richard's going to start throwing things at me. So Father, we want to thank you for tonight and pray you would just continue to bless. I, I pray that everybody in here would take the time, figure it out, read this stuff, truly get to know who you are. I pray that I would continue to draw deeper and deeper and closer and closer to you, Lord, so that I can get this worked out in my life because there's so many times I still struggle with so much. Help us all to follow hard after you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.